Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program exploring all the high-stakes, speed bumps, and off-ramps of driving to the top of your market. It all starts right now. Connect and Sell, welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Give your fingers a rest with Connect and Sell's patented technology. You'll load your best sales folks up with eight to 10 times more live qualified conversations every single day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing how many tears were shed while watching Titanic kind of qualified. Learn more at connectandsell.com. You're listening to The Market Dominance Guys with your hosts, Corey Frank of UncommonPro.com and Chris Beal of Connect and Sell. So I've been thinking about a conversation Chris and I have had these last few weeks uh, quite a lot. There's a common storyline, it seems, for newly minted entrepreneurs or even current business owners, and it goes like this. I have a product, a widget, a service, and it works. I think it works pretty well. And so now I'm going to hire a bunch of sales folks, probably a VP of sales, and he's going to do the hiring. And then we're going to launch, and then we're going to get working and execute on that hockey stick picture I have on the financial slide in my investment deck. Oh, and and we're also going to do the market launch, maybe some PR about our funding, and then spend a few bucks updating the website. Now, every superhero has their origin story. And in this episode, I'm going to ask you, Chris, to dive in and talk about startup origin stories. Is sales the villain if something goes awry? Is sales the hero? And where's the kryptonite in today's VC-funded startups and businesses? Take our belief as an entrepreneur, the belief that we have inside that we can solve a problem that's out there in the world. We need to turn that belief into two things. Thing number one is a message that that is designed to cause somebody to take a meeting in order to learn more about this great insight that we have. And the number two thing is a list of people that we believe have a problem in their day that frustrates them, that feels wasteful to them, that keeps them from going where they want to go. We need to make a list of those people. And then we have just a very simple next step in the recipe, which is hold conversations with those people to set appointments to have this meeting, what we'll call this discovery meeting. And the number one way that we know we should stop, stop moving forward and pivot, is when we cannot get that meeting flow rate or that meeting ratio, conversation to meeting ratio above 5%. Until we do that, We don't really know enough to hold those discovery meetings. We hold them anyway, but we're holding them without knowing how to get them. There's no point in having something downstream that's very desirable that we don't know how to get. We need to be able to get those discovery meetings, and we need to get them at a known cost and a known flow rate. Cost because money's important. Flow rate because time is important. We run out of money. (laughs) We run out of market opportunity if we don't move fast. So what are those flow rates? The ratios. Turns out 5% conversations turning into meetings is one of them. It turns out another one is about 20 conversations per day. That's 100 a week. That means each week we exhaust statistically the information that we can get for a market of 10,000. 
10,000, square root of 10,000 is 100. We've sampled the 10,000 sufficiently after 100 conversations. After a week. After a week. If 100 conversations in a week lead us to five meetings, Mm-hmm. then we know we're on a path where we, sh- we can go and amp that up and say, let's hold those five meetings in the following week or whenever, the next week or two, and let's go get another 100. At the end of the first month, we have 400. Here's the, the problem is if it takes you 50 days to do a cycle instead of five days to do a cycle, then by the time you've done the average number of cycles, unless you just get lucky, right? Luck is wonderful. You get lucky, you get a hit on the first one, it's 5%, you go hold those discovery meetings, they say, oh my goodness, I just can't believe that we're talking about this. I'd buy that, I'd buy that for twice as much as you're talking about, you know. If that happens, great, boom, done. Don't keep doing this process, don't tune it any further. Make that list, you got the list, go, sell, sell. Make the product, you know, fill it in with services, do all that good stuff. Unfortunately, normally it's five, six pivots to get there, why? Because there were subtleties that you missed when you formulated the problem in your head and those subtleties come back as feedback and discovery. So now you need to change the message, but you don't want to change it reactively. You want to change it deliberately. So how do we do that? We hold a discovery meeting. We take the feedback from the discovery meeting. We say, oh, that's interesting. That's how if I put this in the message, this word, it's normally one word, maybe two, then maybe I get a higher flow rate of meetings. You put that word in the message, you do another five days, you have another hundred conversations. You see what happens. Do I have seven meetings? Do I have five meetings? Do I have two meetings? Whatever it happens to be. At some point you're in that process, you've done three, four, five pivots. Five pivots will cost you a month and a week at 20 conversations a day. Five pivots at the, at the usual rate of conversations will take you a year. So the difference is between a year and a month and a week. This is the key to everything, is to get the cycle time to pivoting on the product, which is at that point represented as nothing more than a message, and the message is nothing more than eight, 10, 16 words, right? Our message is this, and it took a little while to get there. I believe we've discovered a breakthrough that completely eliminates the waste and the frustration. It keeps your best sales reps from being effective on the phone or even using the phone at all. That's a pretty simple message. It follows a bunch of rules that might not be obvious to folks who don't make messages for a living. It doesn't mention a product category because if you mention a product category, they won't take the meeting. They'll just say, we're set. There's a whole bunch of things you're not doing in that message. That's pretty simple. Technology loads your best sales folks up with eight to 10 times more live qualified conversations every day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing what kind of cheese they like on their impossible Whopper kind of qualified. Learn more at connectandsell.com. And and this is a a common theme for new sales folks. Um, I have a product, I have a widget, I have a service, and I'm going to hire a bunch of sales folks. And we're going to launch, we're going to do the market launch, PR and product and new website. And then we just need the folks to hit the phone and sell a bunch of stuff. The last mile, every, all the hard stuff is done at this point, right? Yep. So they think, and we'll just hire a bunch of inside sales reps, just hire a bunch of field reps. And then this product should sell itself. Um, I'm an inside rep and I pick up the phone and I usually have a, script or a screenplay that my sales manager got from their sales VP who 
went to a bunch of workshops or this is how they sold for the previous 15, 20 years. And um, lo and behold, when my results don't show it in the first 30, 60, 90 days, it's because I'm not working hard enough or because I don't have enough tools in my tech stack because um, no one's picking up the phone. So I think when we look at the basic building blocks, step one, chapter one, verse one, as a sales professional with an already established or assumed to be established product that is good enough in the marketplace that speaks to a problem that should be fixed or ameliorated in the marketplace. What are, what are some of the common missteps that I would have as a sales rep that uh, I don't even know I'm about to jump into? I'm assuming it's just the quality of the script or the quality of the lead. They, if only people would pick up the phone. And then once they do pick up the phone, these are the ratios that I'm stuck with. And I guess it truly is a quote unquote numbers game at this point. So what is, what is the known or the unknown unknown that I'm about to step into uh, as a sales rep, as a sales leader, when I spring forth all these new sales, glistening sales phones and sales stack galore, et cetera, when I'm just about to hit the starter's pistol? Wow, that's a heck of a question. I, I actually think the setup uh, turns out to be the big issue. When the setup being when you go and hire a bunch of salespeople, I'm going to look at it not from the salesperson's perspective, but from the perspective of what I'll call sort of the entrepreneur, investor, somebody who's, who's got skin in the game on this thing. And if, if the product launch, the go-to-market fails, uh, they've got a serious problem. The problem is that they're going to run out of money. They might not get another shot. Uh, somebody else might take the market, uh, whatever it happens to be. So I think the big problem is that they've hired salespeople before they actually know how to sell the product. So the biggest mistake I see people make is thinking that hiring a sales leader and having that person hire sales people is the next step after you have an offering and you've described the offering in some marketing communication sense. Usually you describe it first to investors, even if it's not institutional investors, somebody's got to foot the bill for getting started with any new product. That's true of products that are launched as companies or products that are launched out of companies. In both cases, you have somebody who's saying, okay, I'll spend some money to take this state of the world out there from whatever it is right now to, hey, it's better because we're solving this problem. And then we'll, we'll uh, you know, make a bunch of money doing that. Isn't that wonderful? That's why we'll put the money into it. So somebody thinks there's a return. And they take their imagination, the investor's imagination, and I'll call it the product proponent or the product champion, the entrepreneur's imagination about what can happen. And they flesh it out through a whole bunch of difficult, expensive activities, including building the product, which I think is the most bizarre of those activities, given how expensive it is to build something. And this is very true in software, but it's true in other fields too. It's even true in services where you build out, hey, this is what we're going to do, or you build out the software itself. Here's my my uh, minimum viable product, or here's my 1.0, or here's my beta, or whatever it is. And they haven't actually gone out and sold the least expensive version of the product through a series of conversations that give clean feedback as to whether anybody cares enough to even take a meeting. And when you work it logically, you can't sell a product until somebody will take a meeting. 
So taking a meeting is the first signal that the product has a chance in the marketplace. And if you flip it around and say, okay, so what's the strongest signal that you should not launch your product? It's if you take a message out that says, here's, here's the problem I think I could solve for you. And no one will even take a meeting. So why would you build a product that you can't get a meeting for? Therefore, you should go get the meetings first. The number one mistake that people make is they don't go and get the meetings first before they build the product. It's, it's, a, a, stra- it's a cart before the horse problem that is truly disastrous because the cart leads the horse off a cliff into that thing that Jeffrey Moore calls the chasm. And then you go down into the chasm where there's no revenue and you spend your time, tr- after all this investment you've invested in, in the, uh, the building of the thing, You've invested in the website, you've invested in the Marcom, you've invested in talking to each other so much that you should have stopped years ago. You've invested in your imagination, you've invested in maybe your marriage not being quite so good anymore. You've invested in all of this stuff and now you're gonna go find out if your investment has a shot. Nine out of 10 times as originally formulated, and I'm being very, 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 very generous here, it doesn't have a shot. And at that point, the companies go through multiple pivots. Yes. Um, they try to re-engage and re-establish. So at what point is it 50% product viability and you start selling? When did this convergence, this meeting where the, the product development and the sales meet? It's not at the five-yard line where the product is 95% done. 50-yard line where the product is is still malleable enough to adjust? It's like when is that kind of that magic minute where, okay, concurrently start the sales reps as we are going to concurrently start building the foundation of the product? I, I believe the way it should work is this. The safe way to take products to market is you conceptualize the product. You go and you, you talk to some people who have the problem. If you are not a subject matter expert, what, by the way, in the problem that's being solved, if you don't have deep roots in that problem, you're going to have serious problems with your product anyway. Because products don't solve parts of problems, they solve whole problems. And the whole problem includes a bunch of subtleties that you don't understand unless you've been on the other side. So when somebody comes to me and says, hey, 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 I'm going to do this incredible product, and it's in a a domain they know nothing about, like uh, I know of one. Uh, somebody who was very irritated with the fact that their beloved grandparent was treated poorly by the medical system, uh, by our, our healthcare system, going through very old age and ultimately death. And so he decided to start a company to solve part of that problem. And it was the problem around you know, prescriptions and treatments and was the price fair. He didn't really have an insider's knowledge of that. I don't know how you would gain that except 20 years in the healthcare payments and insurance industry, but it was very well intentioned. And yet it was like watching somebody try to climb Everest barefoot. You know, I mean, there are those of us who will trot up to Everest barefoot, but you're not going to get very far up on the mountain barefoot. And that was the, it's the, the good intentions meant nothing. So if you are in a product domain, if you're in a domain expert and, in that product area, you probably shouldn't be trying this anyway. If you are, you probably have a pretty good idea of a message. And if you can take that message and weaponize it so that you can actually reliably get a calibrated response out of the message itself, that will tell you whether you even should embark on building the product itself. So in a sense, 
it's while ball is still in the air at kickoff. The question is, can you field the kickoff or is it going to bounce around down there and be recovered by the other team who's now going to punch it in? The, the real question is, can you catch the damn ball? And you don't know until you give it a try. So here's, here's my recommendation of how to do this. This is Chris Beal's extremely cheap way of reliably and safely taking products to market with zero investment. And it works like this. Make up a message using this technique. So imagine the person that will care about this problem the most. Call it your ideal customer. Imagine it's Friday, it's 7 p.m. You walk into their favorite bar. They're at the third bar stool from the left. There is your imaginary perfect, perfect customer. They got two empty beer glasses in front of them. They got one of them that's a third of the way drunk down. And they don't look completely happy. Even from the back, the body language says, maybe not a great week. Maybe, in fact, a pretty bad week. So you just saunter in, you know, you put on your empathy face. You sit down in the bar stool to their left. You turn to the right. You say, hey, how was your day? <laughs> and this person's going to look at you. Your ideal customer's going to look at you and say, you have no idea. And then they're going to tell you about their day. It turns out that's who you're ultimately selling to. You may have a product that solves a problem for a company, but you never sell to a company. You only sell to this person. And the only thing you're going to sell to this person is a meeting to learn more about why you think that you can solve a problem that's in that how was your day litany of complaints. So they're going to lay out how the, what's their day all about. And you come up with a simple message and your message goes like this. I believe we've discovered a breakthrough that completely eliminates and you take the worst part of their day that's there every day that's the source of their frustration where they don't have the time, the resources, or the support to do their job as well as they think they should do it. Mm -hmm. And you put that in that message. And then you weaponize that by putting an opener in front of it that causes that person, should you get them on the phone, to stay on and listen to the next 27 seconds. And you put a closer on it, and you take it out, and you see if you can get 5% appointments. The threshold for go-to-market is 5% appointment setting with the message that represents your product. And the reason it's 5% is, is this. When you look at how products and, and solutions to problems work on the buy side, they tend to cycle about once every three years. That is, if I just bought a solution or implemented a solution, I'm three years away from my next consideration of a solution for the same problem. So if everyone in the market is trying to solve a problem, and by the way, if they're not, you're doomed, right? If your product isn't solving a problem that's trying to be solved by a lot of people in different ways, you're out of your mind. You can't take that into the market. So, you know, I'm the first guy to recognize this problem is very odd, right? That means you're going to have a lot of conversations when you say, do you know that you have this problem? That is not a good conversation to have. <laughs> you have to That's have right. a conversation that says, you know, when we were in the bar the other day and you said you have no idea, the third thing you mentioned is that whatever, it's somebody who's a, who runs a lab for testing wine. The third thing you said is, one more time, the owner of the winery walked in and dumped 400 tests on me. And he knows that the lab has only got a capacity of 200 a day. And they had to be done by the end of the day because the stuff's going to ship. I hate that. Why don't I get more lead time? 
Okay, so say you have a product that, without any changes other than sticking it in his, his wine testing lab, will increase his capacity by, from 200 to 600 by reducing the cycle time of an individual test from five minutes to one minute, and it eliminates the need for some precursor chemicals or whatever. That's yeah. your imagined product. Okay, so say, I believe we've discovered a breakthrough that completely eliminates the waste and the frustration that comes from having a, a sample set of 400 dumped on you when you only have capacity for 200 and you got to get it done today and you can't make any mistakes. And the reason I reached out to you is to get 15 minutes on your calendar to share that breakthrough with you. Do you happen to have your calendar available? That is a weaponized message that will get those who are currently kind of interested to pay attention. Well, currently kind of interested, if they're interested once a quarter and they're replacing their solution once every three years, there's 12 quarters. So only 8.5% of the market is even available to you right now. So if you go above half of that, 5%, you will dominate the market. If you can set appointments with half the available market, which is 8.5% of the total market, and you can do that right now, you can dominate the market. The 5%, how do I know when I'm reaching the 5% or how do I know how to compile my total addressable market where I reach this magical threshold of 5%? You know, the, the, the metrics that are involved is one thing, but it sounds like from your perspective that the pain messaging has to resonate with a certain, uh, a certain subset of the market to to even be viable. You have a, a fundamental problem. This is like the hardest problem in science in general, which is that you have multiple variables in play and each one has its own characteristic yield. So you have one variable, which is who are you trying to talk to? So don't worry about how hard they are to reach. This isn't 5% of those that are in the list. It's 5% of those you talk to. Mm. So now there's an efficiency question around the cost of talking to them all which we can address separately. But this is really, if I have a conversation with somebody who is hypothetically that person in the bar, that person, my ideal customer, which is an entity in my imagination. Yes. So I try to take my imagination and turn it into a list of people. And the beauty is, by the way, it's a list of human beings where the company they work for is a characteristic of them, not the other way around. That is the kind of company they work for is an attribute of the person. The person is not embedded in the company in this conversation, but the person is the person who's going to respond and take the meeting. Early on, all we're trying to do is solve the problem of getting a flow of meetings to happen. If we get the flow of meetings to happen, we're going to get information about whether the product really makes sense. But so far, all that's it's like problem zero, get flow of meetings with hypothetically qualified folks who have this problem. So how do I get that, get that flywheel moving? First, I've got to get a little bit of purchase on it. So I have to take a guess, right? Do I grab the slippery part? Or do I grab the, the gritty part? I don't know. I don't know. All I can do is hypothesize. So I make a list that's my best hypothesis. It's the one that was in my head as well as I can turn that into data using sources. Now, there's such, such great sources now. There are two ways to get this done right now. They're so marvelous. They're kind of... They are truly transformative. One is go to Zoom info and do a query. John, yeah. mm-hmm. 93% of the time or some crazy number like that, that query in Zoom info is going to contain enough 
of your ideal customers that you will be able to quickly subset it based on the response to the conversations you're having. And as long as you have enough folks to talk to, to determine statistically, can you get this to this 5%, you can get the job done. Remember the job we're trying to solve is should we take, should we make a product to solve this problem? This is why the sales, the poor salesperson is at the other end of this, trying to deal with the fact that they're trying to sell a product that shouldn't have been made or maybe shouldn't have been made or, or is off by, you know, 5%, but it's the 5% that counts. And nobody knows because nobody's gone out and set the meetings. So they get it all backwards and they say, salespeople, you go set the meetings. Well, with whom? Oh, let's start guessing now, right? You got to do your guessing early. So your first guess is you make a list. The second way to make a list is you go to LinkedIn Sales Navigator. You do the same kind of query that you would have done in Zoom Info. You're looking for folks that are a little harder to find than the Zoom Info query will let you do. And you always manually inspect the list. A list that's worth calling is a list that's worth inspecting. One should never call a list that has not been inspected. Otherwise, you can end up with artifacts of the query, not artifacts of your imagination, screwing up the list. That is, if you're doing a query and the query has keywords in it, and one of the keywords is short and common, you're going to get pollution in the list, false positives that come from the excessively broad match in that query. And so you're go they're going to be in there. What you do is you take that list into, say, Excel, you select the whole thing, you pivot it, you make a little pivot table that's got the title and the count, and you look for titles that are totally inappropriate where the count is big, and you simply then go back to the main list, and you sort it by title, and you wipe those out. They didn't belong in there in the first place, and they're just they're bycatch. Think of it as fishing. You think you've got your net set up correctly, but now you're catching you know, dolphins. Okay, well, get the dolphins out of there. It's not a good play, right? But at this stage, the bigger the list does not necessarily mean the better quality of a list because you're still at the chapter one, verse one stage of trying to prove there is a market by uh, validating meeting metrics. And uh, most, whereas most sales leaders would probably say, oh, I can, I just did a query on Zoom for this select group, this title group, and I have 43,000 available folks. I'm excited. I need to hire them at that point, 40 sales reps to take it. And I'm going to use all that VC money to hire 40 sales reps when the market really hasn't been addressed yet, because I'm going off of my list size without a manual inspection to to validate it or to um, uh, to vet that out. True yeah, sales. and if I ever get to that stage where I'm a sales leader, I'm kind of screwed because this work has to be done before any sales leader is ever hired. This is the work that has to be done before the product is built. Today's show is also brought to you by UncommonPro.com. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer or investor is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's really time to go big, you need an uncommon methodology to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. Through a modern and innovative sales and scripting tool set, we offer a guiding hand to ambitious leaders in their quest to reach market dominance. It's time to get uncommon with UncommonPro.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe.
You've been listening to Market Dominance Guys, sponsored by Connect and Sell, right here in the Funnel Radio Channel for at-work listeners like you.